Welcome back to this Builder Funnel Radio original mini-series, Sales Mastery for Remodelers and Custom Builders with Brian Kaplan. Brian is a construction business coach who's changing the perspective of remodelers and builders like you from blue collar help to professional business owners. This is the final episode and Brian delivers big time. We're gonna talk about building insane confidence even if you're not a natural born salesperson. He covers the skills and the tactics that you need to start elevating your sales process. All right, let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to the final episode of Sales Mastery for Remodelers and Custom Builders. And I'm back again with Brian Kaplan. Brian, welcome back. This is our, our final hurrah here. Yeah. Hey, Spencer. Nice to be back. And I'm excited to uh, kind of pull it all together today. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's uh, it's always sad when we get to the end of one of these <laughs> mini series, but that also means we'll have some great takeaways for people at the end. I th- thought it might be a nice way to start this episode because this one's all about building confidence and making sure like as we leave this mini series, everybody's ready to step into that sales role with that confidence and just some improvements. But maybe just a quick like speed summary of like where we've been. So as we lead into this, uh, this final section, everyone's ready to roll. So do you want to give us a quick, quick refresher? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, we started this journey five episodes ago. We're on episode number six, and we've gone through a bunch of different things. And today, the goal is really to kind of pull it all together. And really, my goal coming into this mini series was to help share a lot of these different things that you can think about, these granular tips that you can use when you're sitting under the bright lights at someone's dining room table and they're asking you questions like, can you break your price? Or, you know, this is different than what we've heard and all these different sorts of things that I know every remodeler and custom home builder listening to this experience. And so again, the the whole goal with this mini series is really to help unpack some of the psychology behind, you know, what's happening on both sides of the table, what's happening in your own mind, what's happening in your client's mind. We talked about the mindset positioning that we need to have in terms of, you know, again, not just from our sales perspective, but of course, from our marketing funnel and all of that and and how we're positioning our client as the central piece, as opposed to it all being about us, of course. You know, we talked about this logic versus emotional center in our brain and that constant battle that's going on. And, you know, the the truth is that never really goes away. And we're going to talk more about that today. We talked about how we have a very short window of time to impress these strangers that we're meeting. I mean, we are talking to strangers at every moment when we meet somebody, even if it's a hot lead or a warm lead because it's coming through a referral, it's still a complete stranger. And so we talked about some of those body language cues and just being prepared and all of that. And just to jump in there real quick, Brian, it just happenstance on timing. I'm reading a book called Hook Point by Brendan Kane, and it talks a lot about digital and how you have like three seconds to catch somebody's attention. But if if you guys are listening to that episode where Brian talks about just, I think you mentioned maybe seven seconds or something, you know, and that's, yeah. that's person to person, you know, digital, it gets cut down, yeah, you know, more than totally. half. But um, if you want to go deeper on that topic, that one's been pretty good. I just started it, but it's all about that. Yeah. I mean, people have short attention spans. So even in person, you got to be quick. So yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that's a good one. And I'll definitely add that to the rating list. So yeah, yeah, um, it just keeps growing. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, we're making headway. We're making headway. You know, and that all kind of ties a little bit into that emotional intelligence conversation that we had, right? It's just kind of being aware of who you are, how you project your personality, the person across from you, what their personality is, what their trigger points are, what your trigger points are. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, which is not something we really dove into, but which is really exciting. And then 
we kind of jumped into this, you know, got kind of granular, I think by episode four, where we started talking about the sales process, right? You hear it from all of us as coaches, consultants, marketing experts like yourself, you know, have a sales process, right? That's the big thing we talk about. And I think that people get overwhelmed by it because there's so much that could be as part of that. But really what it comes down to is we're going to talk about something called ledge today when that's really the benefit of a sales process. And then, you know, it's really important as part of that sales process that we provide some differentiation. And for me, this is all about, you know, something I'm incredibly passionate about. If you didn't listen to episode five to our last episode, talking all about free estimates and all of that, please go listen to it because (laughs) it's something I'm incredibly passionate about. And I want to see every remodeler and custom home builder being paid for their work, being valued for the years of expertise that they bring to the table. Again, our accountants don't do our taxes for free and lawyers don't give us legal advice for free. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be you know, compensated for that as well. So definitely go listen to that one. Hopefully you go listen to all of them, but number yeah. five is you know, <laughs> a special one for me. So, and then re- really kind of, you know, we're going to tie it up today. And that brings us to this point where we're going to talk all about what that big promise was coming into this mini series about how can you build, you know, that insane level of confidence in your sales process. And as a salesperson, even if you don't consider yourself a salesperson by nature. Yeah. And I think part of the, you know, the whole confidence piece, I was, I've been thinking about that a lot as we've been getting ready for this, this conversation. And I think a pr- process in and of itself gives you a lot of confidence because you just, you know what the next step is and you're prepared and, you know, some of those things. But I guess as you think about confidence, what are some of these kind of big key points that, that gives somebody confidence, especially like you said, if they're not normally thinking of themselves as a salesperson? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the first big thing I'm going to say is that, you know, and today we're really going to kind of dive into some skills and tactics here. And, but from a very big picture perspective, I just want to say that there's very few people I think would consider themselves a natural born salesperson. And ultimately, especially for us in the trades in, you know, home building and custom remodeling and all of that, you know, we are craftspeople, right? We grew up as craftspeople and we kind of fall into the business. And this is not for everybody, of course, it's not the typical journey for everybody, but it is for a lot of people. And running a business and learning sales and our numbers and estimating all of that kind of comes secondary. It's something we have to figure out. So, you know, one of the things I can tell you that in all of my group classes, when people get in these big calls and we start all chatting and breakup groups and all of that, everyone starts to realize that it doesn't really matter where you are geographically, but we all have the same sort of, as we say, mind goblins or head trash that's going <laughs> on there. So first and foremost, I want to say that, you know, pe- you're not alone in all of this. And it's something that's really important when we talk about kind of confidence is that we talked about measuring sticks earlier in the series. And we talked about how we always compare ourselves to other people. And oftentimes we're comparing ourselves to, you know, the Don Drapers of the world from Mad Men. You know, we're, we're looking at Boiler Room as an example of, you know, high, high pressure sales and how you succeed and win in life. And the truth is, it's not, that's not reality. So, you know, here you're selling a service, you're selling a product to a homeowner on their home, the largest investment of their life. It's a very different thing. And we're not there to just close a deal and, you know, move on to the kind of the next one. But big picture, yeah, you're not alone for sure. Yeah, I think that that helps, you know, and and like you said, most people aren't naturally born sales people, totally. especially <laughs> whatever your craft is. And obviously we're we're in the construction space. So that's the craft we're talking about. But I'm sure it's the same for lawyers and, you know, dentists yeah. and some of you know, some of the roles we talked about last time too. I mean, you know, there are a few people that just have kind of the gift of gab and they're naturally good at connecting with people and they can close, but a lot of times they don't follow a process either. And and I find that even sometimes introverts 
and people that aren't as outgoing can actually be superior salespeople because they're more inclined to be more prepared and follow the process because that's what actually gives them confidence. But those are the things that get them the results. Would you agree with that? Or have you seen that in your experience? Oh, for sure. And I think one of the other key elements there when we talk about introverts is that they're not so concerned about talking about themselves, right? So they're willing to listen. They're willing to ask questions to a client to help them, you know, help unravel that client's emotions as opposed to them, you know, as extroverts, I'm an extrovert and I probably have a tendency to overshare. You know, that's definitely a skill that I worked on throughout my sales journey was learning when to use that silence, which we'll talk about today as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Which is, and that's one of the reasons I picked podcast hosts. I'm a total introvert. It's like, great. I can just sit here and throw out questions and (laughs) have other people do all the talking. (laughs) So, well, um, yeah, I guess let's get into some more of the the tactics and and skills like that that people need to be thinking about to go, okay, so we've kind of hit on a couple, but how do we continue to build that confidence going forward? For sure. And and the first thing I'm going to tell everybody, and this is not going to come as a surprise, but you need to be uncomfortable in all of this. And the moment that you're comfortable, it means that you're not actually doing the things that you need to do. So remember, we talked about rejection, right? We talked about, you know, you want to ask a girl to the prom and you, you know, you muster up the courage over three weeks to finally go and ask her. The reason that obstacle is there is because of that most fiercely guarded human emotion of rejection. And in the sales process, it's no different. It's why we always make these parallels between sales and dating because they're very, very similar in that sense. We don't want to pick up the phone, call somebody and get a no or get brushed off, right? And all of the sales books that you'll read, the good ones at least, will talk about how when you are prospecting, when you're doing outbound prospecting, you are interrupting someone's day. And that's really what happens. That's the disruptive emotion that happens for a prospect and why they need to kind of get off the phone with you or not meet with you or not return your email. And it's because you're interrupting them. And so it's very hard because you are essentially pushing this big snowball up a mountain with no shoes on and it's super icy. And that's what it really feels like when you're doing a lot of prospecting. And so first and foremost, you you absolutely have to be uncomfortable and just really ask yourself, what's the worst thing that's going to happen here? If I had 10 people in my sales funnel, 20 people in my sales funnel, whatever it is, Some of them aren't going to convert. Some of them aren't going to get back to me. And everyone's going to respond a little bit differently. Some people are going to reply on your fourth email. Some people might pick up the phone on the second phone call. It's going to vary. And I think the big thing here is just know that everybody that does any form of sales work, again, is uncomfortable in this. And the way that we really grow as people is by forcing ourselves to be incredibly uncomfortable. So you've got to do the opposite of what you're inclined to do, which is send that email I want you to pick up that phone instead. And it's so hard to make that just one shift. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I I like that you said just what's the worst that can happen because I was thinking about that. And I feel like that's something that really helped me is just going, well, yeah, I mean, let's say everybody says no. There's more opportunity. You know, this industry has been around for a long time. It's a rapidly expanding industry right now. And you know, so if you get a bunch of no's, like there's still more projects out there, there's still more work. And I think the more okay you become with that, then it takes some of the pressure off. And then you actually just start doing the things you should do. But when you're, when you got the pressure, then I think you start deviating from the process and and making some bad decisions. Absolutely. And I think people are really focused on close rate, which is not a bad metric to look at, but you have to remember that close rate fluctuates with the basically the variance of life. And what I mean by that is I could get 12 no's in a row and then I could get three yeses in a row. 
if I have a close rate of say 25%, it doesn't mean that I sell one, lose three, sell one, lose three. That's not how it works, right? <laughs> yep. If it did, then close rate would actually make sense to track like every single day. And the truth is, unless you're sitting in, you know, in a telemarketing booth and you're just calling out hundreds of people a day, then close rate is kind of like your margin. It fluctuates up and down and up and down, but really you just kind of want to look at it on a monthly basis. You don't want to look at it every day because it's always in transit. Yeah. And I think it's really important. Like what you said is you just kind of have to learn how to sit in that mess and be okay with it and just recognize that, you know, it's really just a game of numbers. And, and here's the one thing I'll tell everybody is that the solution to your sales problem is your, is your pipeline. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you're having problems with your sales, it means your pipeline's broken. It means likely you need to call Spencer and build a funnel because <laughs> you don't have enough inbound marketing leads coming in or you don't have proper outbound channels, right? So that's really the solution to all of this because everything else we're talking about is really more of a person, like a personal kind of training and shift and all of that in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I- Appreciate the plug there, uh, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's actually um, something that I've experienced for myself, and I think you know when you have that pipeline is full and you have those opportunities flowing your way, you're less scared to lose a deal because you Absolutely. do you, you can see the opportunities and they're just coming in, and so you're going okay. If if these don't work out, then the next ones will. And and I like too what you mentioned about it's not linear, you know. So if your close rate yeah. is twenty five percent, it doesn't come in. I always. I thought that for years. I'm like, oh, we just need to close, you know, two customers a month. And if we just do that, you know, yeah. everything will be perfect. And then you realize you go like zero, four, and then, yeah. you know, zero, <laughs> three. And you're like, yeah. wait, 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 hold on. This is throwing me off. <laughs> Who's but, keeping uh, score here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like this isn't part of the plan. It kind of comes together to like just really being kind of that emotional intelligence that we talk about, which is a broad topic, of course, when we talk about emotional intelligence. But when we talk about our pipeline, we talk about the inconsistency, you get zero one month, four the other month. Part of that is, again, recognizing where people are in their buying journey when they first approach you, whether it's an inbound lead or your outbound prospecting. You you can't sell to everybody. You have to just understand that and know that and know that your close rate is going to fluctuate month to month. You have to, you know, understand that, yeah, you might put out a ton of effort one month and get so little in return, do less the next month and get a lot more in return. And that's just kind of some of it is the flywheel component or that compound interest type of, you know, analogy that we always talk about. But really what it comes down to is just being really aware of yourself. And when you get those leads, knowing where people are, again, you cannot sell to everybody. And that's a, a really important thing. So again, if you're having trouble with sales and the volume and all of that, it's really your pipeline that's broken. And we have to look at those kind of inbound and outbound channels to kind of drive that lead generation. And then when those people come in, just it's like, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And know that putting those people into your pipeline, they will come back to you. It might take six, eight, 10, 12, 24 months. I've had clients that we've met and started a project three and a half years later. I mean, that's just the the cycle that that particular client was on. It was a fantastic project. It was a million dollar renovation, and they were great clients. And it was worth all that effort that I put in, you know. But that was just kind of simmering while I was working on everything else. So just know that everyone has a different start and stop time. Yeah, I think that's really good. And when you get those no's, I mean, that's if you just look at them as practice, right? Like that's another free throw. It's another, you know, another rep, right? Yeah, and and just know that like. We always do this. We make up stories in our head. We're like, oh, that person didn't get back to me. They must hate me. I must suck at this. I'm going sh- to shut down my business. You know, I mean, we, get, we go into these really quick negative spirals. And the truth is, is that people are very busy is really what it comes down to. And when the moment is right, people are going to get back to you. 
As I'm talking about this, think about somebody that you've prospected, maybe that you've been following up with, maybe you've been like nurturing them and maybe you have some email marketing and all of that kind of thing. And you've been like bringing them along your pipeline in your sales funnel. And then, you know, all of a sudden there's a moment where you send something and there's an immediate response, right? And it's kind of like right message, right person, right time. But the point is, is that don't make up these stories in your head because the truth is if someone's not getting back to you, it's not that they hate you, (laughs) that they think you suck or anything like that. It's that they're not ready. That's really all it comes down to. And not ready is a broad term, right? It could just be a timing thing. It could be a financial thing. At the time of recording this, of course, we're still very much in the pandemic and it could be you know, fluctuations with how it's affecting their region. People lose their jobs just on a whim. I've had this before where everything's been going great and we've been developing a project and all of a sudden they just vanish like into thin air and I can't get in touch with them. And then a month and a half later, I get a message that the client's husband or a client's wife lost their, lost their job and they're going to put this on hold. Meanwhile, you're making up all these stories in your head. So this is what we mean when we talk about emotional intelligence. It's a very broad topic here, but it's really important that you just kind of stay focused and know that you've got to keep pushing out that effort, that your results are going to be, a lot of the times they're going to vary, right? From week to week to month to month kind of thing, but you've got to keep pushing in that direction. Yeah. I really like how you mentioned that because in those instances where you have somebody just disappear. Most people are actually pretty comfortable with emailing you and saying, hey, we went in another direction, especially if it's not on the phone and they'll just shoot you an email. Hey, sorry, we went with somebody else. So if you don't hear anything, chances are you're still in play. It could be to your point in play three years from now or three and a half years from now, or maybe three days or three weeks, or, you know, you just don't know. And so I like that point of just, just stay in touch, stay confident, like keep working the system. And then suddenly you're like, you're staying in touch with all of these people. And then when it's right timing, boom, they just, they click into place and you kind of start rolling from there. Yeah. And it it kind of, you know, brings us to that kind of that mental positioning that we need to have, right? So it's easy for me to sit here and say to people, Hey people, I know you're not getting those replies. And every time you call somebody, they brush you off and all that. And you're like, man, this is really tough. So let's talk about mental positioning a little bit. There's a bunch of different lenses that we could, you know, kind of take here. But the big point I actually really want to bring out is that in the sales process, someone has to be willing to trust themselves before they can actually trust you. And it's a bit counterintuitive, but the reality is just think of your own buying habits. You know, we talked about measuring sticks. We talked about where you hear information first is what you kind of measure against when you're listening to somebody else. It's no different for all the remodelers and custom home builders listening to this. When you meet a client and you're you know, sitting there, maybe going through an estimate or talking to them about project cost or scope or whatever it is, you're often going to hear phrases and things like, oh, well, somebody else told me this. Uncle Bob told me this. Aunt Sue told me this. Oh, I saw this on the internet, <laughs> our favorite line. <laughs> um, and the reality is, is that, again, people are going to use something called confirmation bias, which is basically what they hear initially forms an incepted idea in their mind, and then they use everything that they hear after that to kind of confirm that in their own mind, right? And that's why the greatest example of this would be that a client has an idea of a budget number for their project before they spoke to anybody. And then it's been confirmed maybe by Uncle Bob or Aunt Sue or the media or some blog article they read on some website on the illustrious internet. And so that is like their incepted idea. What ends up happening then is they start talking to you. And we all know this very well, right? When, when there's no money involved, we keep clients in that really you know, good mind space, right? We've talked a little bit about this throughout this series, is keeping them in the right balance of emotion and logic. 
And then as soon as money comes into the conversation, it's like a, a rabbit hole. It's just like a ski, you know, or a ski jump kind of thing. They just go right down the kind of the jump. And the, the truth is, is that what's happening is they're trying to qualify that information and they're actually discarding the logical stuff that you're sending to them, you know, meaning like the scope of work's not fully defined. There's a bunch of different reasons why I don't think you can be confident in that that's the price for the scope of work that you want to take on right now. But we all know that clients will then go to the next builder and the next builder and next builder till they hear that number that they want. And that is confirmation bias to a T. So they heard something initially, they formed their belief system around it. And now what's happening is they're going and trying to get that confirmation from somebody out there. And that's really, so I say this for every remodeler and home builder to, you know, that it's not personal. Cause I always used to, I mean, early in my journey, I was like, not offended, but I was like, man, why aren't they listening to me? Like, I know what I'm talking about here, but that's what actually is happening in their brain. And so now you can't call that out to somebody because then you're challenging them. But nonetheless, it's important that we understand that's what's happening. Yeah. And if you really want to do some marketing inception, you write the content yourself and you uh, talk about cost. And then when they find that you've anchored them in the number that you want them to know, which is the truthful number exactly. <laughs> versus what they hear from uncle Bob. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so there's, yeah. there's my other plug for, you know, content marketing and there you, uh, go. <laughs> you don't have to work with us to do it. You just get out there and create that content. So <laughs> that's right. You got it. A couple other small things, just when we talk about mental positioning right now, we're just talking about like bigger picture, if we talk about a little bit more in the process of like working with somebody, one thing that's really important when you kind of approach a sales conversation, I think we've talked about just releasing that attachment to the yes. And really just think of yourself as a doctor trying to diagnose, right? Trying to collect all that information. This is where rapport and relationship is built. So by actively listening, by storing these little things that we hear, which we'll talk about in a second, but really just kind of going into these approaches without that, I don't want to call it desperation, but you know, there is so like neurotransmitters, there's like, you know, kind of like a sense and a feeling that people can get when you really want to sell a job, they can smell it. It's almost like a dog can smell fear in a way. It's like, it's kind of a little bit like that. So going into it with a balanced, you know, mindset of like, yeah, it would be great to close this project. But this the purpose of this meeting is not to get that yes, right? So we really got to That's what it means to say, release the attachment to the yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And so, yeah, we've been kind of talking about the skills, you know, skills are maybe a little bit tougher, you know, than tactics because you actually yeah. have to work on them and develop them. Sure. So that's the, you know, being uncomfortable, that's difficult. Like you got to put yourself in those situations. Emotional intelligence is something that I feel like you just have to have a lot of awareness and you're just constantly yes. looking and at, you know, it's very active. And so it comes with totally. those reps and then what you just wrapped up with, with mental positioning. So what tactics then can we kind of layer on to some of the like, and I would say to people, don't just take the short route and just jump right to tactics. Like <laughs> the, the skills are really, really important. And then the tactics yeah. can kind of support those things. For sure. And I think, I think they're all, you know, everything kind of feeds, feeds each other in a way. And, and the truth is, is that there are specific things I'll share in a second here, but really the tactics are also a long tail type of thing, right? It's really a personal development journey. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, like that's really what we're talking about here is about how do we become really reflective? Like again, on that emotional intelligence, like you said, we've got to kind of observe, we've got to read it and then react to it or, you know, kind of respond to it in, in whatever way it is. And so one of the greatest things that anybody can do in any industry, sports, whatever it is, you know, is 
is be like Michael Jordan, be like the late great Kobe Bryant and, and LeBron James, right? These three guys, the one thing that they have in common is this insatiable desire to improve, right? They are obviously very talented physical specimens at the sport that they play or sports that they play because most of them played multiple sports, especially in their youth. But the reason that they became great was two factors, really. First, they, first and foremost, they all had coaches. Second of all, they had this drive inside of them to improve. And the truth is, is that you're not going to get the beach body if you don't go to the gym, right? You're not going to get that incremental improvement if you just decide a week before, you know, it's summertime that you're going to go to the gym and blitz it really hard. I mean, it's just not going to work. Similarly, there are no... Gosh, we want it to work though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're working on a pill, folks. Stay tuned. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, work on the sales pill while you're at it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the truth is, is that it's kind of this ongoing thing. And, and as much as I would love to say to you, hey, like, here's a bunch of different things you can use to really change it, which hopefully you've gotten a lot from this mini series so far. The, the truth of the matter is it's all going to be about practice because that is ultimately the key to success. And there's lots of different forms that you can use to do this. You know, batting practice is, you know, a common sort of thought of like, you know, bouncing it off of somebody. So doing mock sales interviews. I recommend, you know, doing them over Zoom or a platform. Even if you're working with someone in your own company, actually record it and then go back, put some headphones on and just put yourself in a zone and watch yourself the whole time through this call and see how you respond, see how your body cues, your eye contact, all these different things that you are transmitting to a prospect when you're sitting in that room, just become hyper aware of who you are, how you project, all that kind of stuff. That is probably, if you did that one thing, I will tell you, that one thing alone will change your sales trajectory immeasurably because Again, how we think we project and how we actually project are always two different things. And fundamentally, what you're trying to do by you know working on your sales process and yourself is to close that gap. That's really what we're trying to you know try to do here. And so, a few other ways that we can do this, of course, is you know having a script, like you mentioned, having that fallback, which is really really important, and you know which bridges into kind of the sales process in a second. But you know, is really just understanding exactly where we should go, what's the next step that we should do. And then if we talk about sports again for a second, I love this one because uh, you know I'm an athlete myself and visualization is such a powerful thing. And it might sound crazy for me to say this to people, but, and this isn't just, you know, those awesome uh, monologues that we've seen in movies where someone's standing in front of a mirror and they're talking to themselves, not like that, <laughs> but I'm talking about like visualizing, you know, being in someone's space, walking around, talking, and even, you know, maybe your wife and your kids will think you're crazy if you're walking around your house and pretending that you're actually doing something, but, you know, mentally just plan and visualize. I can't tell you as an athlete how that's helped me immeasurably going into big games and things like that is actually walking through it and imagining what's going to happen and how I'm going to perform and all of that sort of thing. So it sounds a little hokey yeah. for the sales process, but it's powerful. Well, and if, if people listening think it's kind of a joke or whatever, I, man, this one example always stuck with me. It was the story of Michael Phelps and his coach always had him go through his whole routine in his mind before. Yeah. I think it was like every day he made it, him do that. But whatever race it was in the Olympics, you know, he was doing, he was right in the middle and his goggles like filled up with water and he just kept going based on memory and visualization without having that vision. And it's because he had just done it so many times. And I mean, obviously in the pool, real practice, but he had done yeah. it so many times in his head too. And they 
practice when stuff goes wrong, you know? And so that was yeah. one of those things. And so I, yeah, I think that point of visualizing, like just imagine yourself walking in, smiling, shaking their hand, walking around, like being comfortable, visualize yourself being comfortable, you know, all those yeah. little details that you've kind of walked us through. Jumping back to your earlier point real quick, you mentioned, you know, practice with a team member recorded over to Zoom. Do you have a recommendation for like how often should you be trying to do that? I'm sure it's a little bit of a, it depends, but do you have any recommendations for somebody? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's going to matter. I think it's going to depend a little bit on your own ability to set that time aside. You know, one of the big things that we all know is that 168 hours that we all play with every single week, that's that's all the time we have. And so oftentimes it's challenging enough to even do it, say, once a week. But if you can at least be doing it a couple of times a month kind of thing, in addition to, of course, all those sales calls you're going on, because it's all batting practice, really, but getting that reflection. And then just as a little side note, I think we've talked about always go in twos, right? If you have more than one person in your company, go together. There's two main reasons why I love doing this. First and foremost is that when I would flip an estimate over and I would slide it to a client, and if there were two clients, I can't watch both of them at the same time. And so <laughs> what I really want is another person there to be able to kind of also sort of observe. And then we can kind of powwow after about that. And then of course, there's the powwow between each other of like, what went well, what didn't went well, what did we feel was an obstacle, like where I felt like I was cut off, or I should really handle this part next time. Because maybe, you know, you, you're saying, hey, I didn't feel really great about this. I'd be like, you know what, let me do those parts. I actually didn't feel good about this part. Let me put that to you kind of thing. And then creating a little bit of that, you know, chemistry between the two of you can be really, really powerful when you're in a sales meeting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. I like that. What's the ledge that you talk about here? Yeah. So the ledge is, you know, it's not my concept, but it's a, it's a concept by Jeb Blount. And I don't know if he's actually created the concept, but the concept of it is, is that you need something to lean on, right? In those moments where you're, you know, amygdala, as we talked about that emotional center, this tiny little thing in your brain that just like is so powerful, your emotions are raging and you're like sweating and you don't know the answer and all of that. The ledge is exactly why we say have a sales process. It's exactly why we say have a script. You need a homing beacon to come back to. You need to lean on something. So it's pre-programmed, something that you've pre-written that it could be, you know, when we talk about objections, it could be like as simple as saying, you know, Spencer, that's a really great point because just that one sentence allows my logic brain to catch up because I've, I kind of pacify my emotional center, calm myself down, and I'm able to then actually think a little bit, go into that next thing. So it's part of a strategy of how do I respond to an objection? How do I respond in the face of something not going the way that I visualized it, right? Kind of thing. So your ledge, very simply, is are things like your script, your sales mm -hmm. process, just knowing what you're going to do next. And I highly recommend that you practice, you know, having a ledge, something like I just said, Spencer, you know, that's a fantastic point. A lot of people ask me that. Just something like that. Come up with a few of them and just hammer those things into your mind. Visualize yourself saying those things because in those really bright moments, right, where you're sitting under the lights and you're sweating and, you know, really trying to find those words. Those are the words that are actually going to pop up into your brain. So that's something that can be incredibly helpful for you. Yeah, I like that. I actually hadn't heard of that concept before. But yeah, just giving you a little, something to lean on, you know, that yeah, it just gives exactly. you a little bit of support. Yeah, I, I like that yeah. concept. And then uh, building more on the sales process, you know, a couple other things that we would talk about is 
you know, Spencer, you and I talk about this all the time, right? Being intentional with all of the actions that we have in your business, in your life, all of that sort of thing. And I think one of the elements we talked about with the free estimating was like a great first place to start is to remove all of the verbiage that says free estimates on your website, your trucks, your business cards, all your print materials and things like that. When we talk about a sales process, it's no different. We want to have all of these different components kind of built out. And that might sound overwhelming for people listening to this and we don't really have a sales process, but ultimately just starting is really important. It's just starting to map out what you typically do. Then we can talk about, you know, do I have digital or print assets? Your digital asset is typically, you know, your electronic storefront, right? It's your website. What is on there that actually speaks to our process? That's a very powerful page, as you know, for you know, a remodeler or custom home builder's website to help a client understand what your process is and what it looks like specifically for them to go through it. And just as a little side thing, I always like to come back to that positioning because it's kind of on the marketing side. Is just remember, we're trying to speak to a client in a way that when they're reading through content on your website or any of your marketing materials, or even in your sales conversations, that they can kind of get to a place in their mind where they're like, that's right. That's me. He's talking to me. I, like literally he's inside my head right now. And that's really what we're trying to achieve. And so, you know, building a sales process that helps to reflect that is going to be really important. So listen to the words and the phrases that people use. You know, when we talk about batting practice and repetitions and all that sort of thing, write those words and phrases down, but don't change them at all. Even if it's like not grammatically correct English, whatever it is, like just write all that content down. You start collecting that over time. You have powerful marketing material, but also you'll be able to kind of, you know, that's kind of a little bit of that emotional intelligence where we said, listen to what people are saying, recycle it and put it back out to them, right? Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And use it as part of your process. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And if you've ever read some really masterful like sales pages online, it's pretty unbelievable because you're sitting there reading them. You're going, oh my gosh, that's me. This person literally, they must be inside my head. And it's a little bit weird, but you're also like, wow, this must be the perfect solution for me too. So I I love that you said, just write it down as is, because that's how you accomplish that, you know, getting, getting right inside somebody's mind. So absolutely. And also don't be afraid to, you know, reach out. A lot of you are driven by architects and design partners and, you know, people that are in that side of the business, you know, engage with them, create conversations and help them understand your process, right? Get them on, I don't want to say your side, because we're not really trying to polarize the whole thing here, but you know, get them to understand what your process is and really be kind of your backup in the in the room, so to speak, or in that process, right? Get them, help them understand what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So what other tactics can people rely on or, or go to as we kind of round this out here? Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about like personalities and personal stuff that you can do. So a recent example I can use is that, you know, again, we're in the pandemic right now in 2020. And the NBA hosted their, you know, NBA finals, which was 16 teams that went into the bubble in Orlando. And they had five barbers that were also in the bubble, right? So they had a whole bunch of supporting staff and everything. So you wouldn't really think about this. We think of hockey and everyone grows a beard and grows their hair and all of that. But, you know, from the basketball player side of it, their feedback from them was like, if I'm, if I'm trimmed and I'm cut and I look good, I'm going to feel good and I'm going to perform well kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's no different here, you know? Take care of yourself first and foremost, right? We always, I I probably mentioned the airplane example, right? If, you know, those oxygen masks fall and your kids are there, if you start putting it on your first kid, by the time you get into your second or third kid, you might pass out and then you're no good to anybody. So always you have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. 
coming back to that talking to strangers part, that first impression, right? We show up to the door, we're two minutes late. We've got a little bit of pizza sauce on our shirt because we, you know, <laughs> it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. We hadn't really eaten. You're feeling a little woozy. You maybe you're sweating profusely because it's a hundred degrees outside. So, you know, give yourself the time to be prepared and all of that. So it really comes down to kind of like taking care of yourself first and foremost. And then on that personality side, you know, it's kind of, you know, a little bit of this emotional intelligence side is, you know, we start to learn who we are and what personality type do we fit into. So, you know, DISC assessments are great. Myers-Briggs personality assessments are great. There's tons of them online that you can go and do. They're all relatively the same. They just talk about these different characters, so to speak, in different contexts. But ultimately, if you can learn who you are, will help you immeasurably in understanding what your trigger points are. In other words, what things really send your emotional center for a spin. And then conversely, you also want to kind of study the other personality types. So as you're meeting clients, you can recognize where, you know, there's the engineer, (laughs) you know, we all know that person really well. So, you know, and understanding how they think and how they're going to respond, what their trigger points are, are really key. So digging into that a little bit, I think could be incredibly powerful. Yeah, I think that's good, good advice. And I like the take care of yourself and then you can take care of others. And I think that applies in so many instances. You kind of mentioned the, the airplane example, but I think it applies, you know, you hear it come up financially too, you know, like you yeah. can, you can do so much more to support other people if you nail your stuff down first. And yeah, I think uh, it, it applies here as well. What else should we be thinking about in, in these moments? Let's kind of go over four secret weapons that you can cool. use. The first one, we've talked about this. We talked about breadcrumbs in the sales process, right? So throughout that whole sales funnel, from the moment you meet somebody to the moment that they sign and they become a client and through that entire journey, this never really stops. Breadcrumbs are, it's really just about being aware, being engaged and being in tune with who they are, right? So if I am meeting somebody and I walk through their home and I see things that I identify with, that is a great way for me to make that, you know, build that rapport and relationship. But store that breadcrumb, right? Because they kind of drop it. People also, as we talked about, when they exhaust themselves, they say the most truest thing, they might drop one there. And that's something that you can, maybe you don't identify with it, but it's something that you can pick up, again, recycle it and put it back to them through the process. The second one is so powerful. You know, Spencer, say the client's name in the sentence like I just did, because you've been listening and you're like, yeah. And then you said, I said your name and there's an instant kind of pop to attention kind of thing. And I think as people talk and as people are in sales calls, you know, every 10 minutes, our attention just drops dramatically and periodically, you know, putting people's names into it. If I was to, you know, Spencer, if I was to, we talked about that remodeling my kitchen or main floor example throughout this mini series. And when I came in and I, and I said, Hey, your kids, but if I actually labeled your kids, I use their names. That's so powerful for building that rapport, deepening that connection. So be, you know, and a lot of people say, oh, I'm not good with names. Well, write them down. You know, I do that, right? I know all of my colleagues and friends in the business. I know their wives' names. I know their kids' names. It's so critical that, you know, these are, these are little golden opportunities of you to differentiate yourself and to really just make that emotional connection. Remember, we talked, clients make decisions on emotion. So you want to connect emotionally with them, which is really, really key. Yeah. And, and he's not lying. He's, he just this morning used my wife's name and both my kids' names before <laughs> we hit record. So <laughs> he's practicing what he preaches at least. And uh, I have to take a moment. I know you're going to get to two more secret weapons, but I just couldn't resist. We, uh, 
the secret weapons was our dodgeball name in college. Our oh, amazing. Dodgeball name. And, <laughs> and it started as the secret weapon. Cause we thought we were going to have this one guy that was like incredible. <laughs> he didn't show we won the tournament. <laughs> so we said, well, we're all the secret weapons. So, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> that's amazing. But, uh, so that's what I was thinking about until you said my name. And then I'm like, yeah, Oh wait, we're recording. So, <laughs> Uh, I love so it, it does work. It does work. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what are, what are the last two secret weapons here? <laughs> well, number three is something that I talked about today. I talked about throughout this. I say to you, Spencer, you know, we'd love to work with you for us to do this. It's going to cost $325,000. And then I do what I just what? did for all the people that are, for all the people that are just listening to this, I kind of waved my hand over my face to quiet myself. I basically made silence in the, in the process. I said my price. I gave my pitch, my call to action, and then I left it out there on the table. So if you're on the phone, you're on a Zoom call, you are in person, you maintain eye contact if you're in person or on a Zoom call, and you just, you know, be quiet. You just use silence. You let the other person fill that space. It's the only way that you actually move somebody emotionally through the decision-making process is by absolutely being quiet after you've put out what you need to put out. That's good. Yeah. And it's tough especially if uh, every second feels like a, a long time during that, when you throw that number out. But that's good. I like that you mentioned that that's how you get them to emotionally kind of move through the process. I don't know if I really knew the reason why there, but you, but you do hear that. And so because yeah, they're going to, yeah, they're going to want to fill that space. Right. And, and yep. you know, for everybody here, the next time you do this, just be really cognizant of this and work at this because it's a hard one. But you'll just keep talking and all you're doing is talking yourself out of a job. All you're doing is, remember we talked about confirmation bias. All you're doing is fighting against that right now or confirming what someone thinks, which is like, I don't know if I trust this person or I don't know if I really believe what they're saying. And then when you keep talking, all you're doing is confirming that for them. You're not doing yourself any favors. So practice that silence, you know, even internally as well with these little batting practice. Yeah. 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 That's good. All right. What's the final final secret weapon? So the here? final one. These are these are like I said to everybody. There's no magic pill here, but here's two lines that that you can use that are really really engaging lines. So we always talk about in the sales process. We want to use those open ended questions, right? Some people call them calibrated questions. You know, things that people can't answer yes or no to. It's way too easy for people to brush you off and really give you a false answer, yes or no, either way, kind of thing. So. We talked about how we're trying to connect emotionally and how people will say the most truest thing after they finish their rant. So maybe you have one of your questions on a web contact form or in a phone call or a meeting and you say, you know, help me understand what's the, what's the most important part of this remodeling project for you? What are you, what are you really hoping to get out of this experience? And then it's an open-ended calibrate question. People are going to ramble on, ramble on, ramble on. And then you say, Spencer, tell me more about that. And then mm. you silence. <laughs> um, for all the people that are on podcast, you know, can't see my hand waving over my head. I don't know why I do that, but it's my silence sign. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it I say, Spencer, silence, yeah. <laughs> I say, Spencer, tell me more about that. And then I'm quiet and I let them push, right? I push them through emotionally. I let them continue to unravel because they're going to continue sharing stuff that I'm going to then collect as breadcrumbs, recycle and put back at them throughout that sales journey. That's good. Yeah. And that, to your point, that's where you get that little extra, like probably bit of truth that you're really looking for. Yeah. And then the final one is, I think a lot of people are like, okay, I understand the concept of a micro commitment. And just to kind of unpack that micro commitment is we never want to leave that current meeting without knowing what that next step is. However small that step might be, we always want to have that. 
So whether it's the next meeting, the next day I'm following up with you, the next deliverable I'm sending to you or vice versa, we always want to have that, right? Some people struggle a lot with, you know, how do I do that ask? How do I get to that ask? So there are five magic words that you can use. Get your pens out. And if you're driving, pull over. Would you be open to insert blank? If you use those questions, what happens is you actually are challenging somebody. Psychologically, you're challenging them, saying to them, because you're, what you're really fighting is that egoistic bias, right? Where it's like, you're saying that I'm not open to something. Oh, well, I'll show you I'm open to something, Spencer. <laughs> I will absolutely you know, meet with you on Wednesday of next week to talk more about this project because I am open-minded. So that is, I mean, that's the <laughs> internal kind of dialogue that's happening. So would you be open to, those are very powerful sales words. That's good. I don't know that I use that. That's a, I could see how that would really, you know, kind of shift things around because you kind of, a little bit disarming too, Yeah, you know? Yeah, that's really good. Well, we'll make sure to put the secret weapons in the show notes too. So people can yeah. <laughs> uh, go back and yeah, definitely leverage those points as you're, you're working through the sales process. So Brian, we, we've covered a lot during this mini series. Sometimes when we get to the end or near the end, you know, like we've covered some pretty heavy, like some brain stuff at the beginning. We've got a lot of like process, a lot of tactics. What takeaways would you leave people with? Or like, where do you go first? You know, because man, when there's all these things, sometimes it feels really overwhelming. Like, man, I need to work on all of this or, you know, and you can't do it in a day. Yeah. Well, no, that's a great question. And I think, you know, it's always great to kind of recap. It's, you know, we started today just recapping a little bit about that journey that we've been on. But if we try to pull out some of the key things that we talked about, first and foremost, go back and listen to all the episodes again, over and over again, because I think there's a lot of good stuff in there that, you know, the way life works is some of it's going to be applicable for you. Some of it's not, some of it's going to be spot on and you're going to love it. So just go back and listen to some of the stuff and kind of keep that repetition going which really bleeds into the concept of what we talked about with practice and just being consistent in our approach, knowing that, you know, I call it perceived failure, right? A lot of people say I have to fail to learn in life. And I call that perceived failure because really, I think you can get yourself, I certainly am in a place where I see every type of failure as an opportunity to learn. Here's a funny story. I was at the building show, which is our big trade show. It's similar to IBS in Canada, but not quite the same size, of course, but it's the biggest show up here. And I bumped into somebody I used to work with a few years ago, and he had a he had a child, and they moved to Kingston, Ontario, which is two and a half hours from Toronto. And I hadn't seen him in a long time, and so I saw him, and I was like, "Oh, hey, how's your?" I remembered his daughter's name, and then I went to ask about his wife, but stupidly, I just said, "Oh, are you guys planning to have more kids?" I don't know why I used that question, and I learned that, that was a really dumb question. And then he said, well, actually, my wife left me, so that's on hold right now. And, mm. you know, it was kind of one of those, you know, <laughs> put in your mouth moments and you're like, uh, dang, why did I say that? But again, I don't really look at that as perceived failure. Sure, in the moment, I was flush and kind of not feeling great about it. But the whole idea was that I learned, you know, that's not a great question to ask, right? I was just, it just wasn't a good question, but I can learn and I can kind of move forward with that. And then each time I go through, you know, any conversation from a sales perspective or whatever, you know, I'm just going to remember this kind of thing. And, and that really bleeds into that repetition point, right? Which is, <laughs> this is not going to change overnight, right? You've got to keep at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in some ways, like, yeah, maybe it wasn't the best question, but if it's a situation <laughs> like that, like, how could you know? And now, you know, the new information. Is, <laughs> but I mean, sure that could have gone the other way, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm sure that was pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> but right. yeah, it's, um, it's, it's all about the repetition and it's all about creating kind of this internal belief. And I think 
it's important to call out this battle, like I talked about, it's always going to be there. This emotion and logic battle in your brain is always going to be there. And kind of the master algorithm that of life is really about your beliefs will form the actions, which then will give you results. And from those results, you can receive feedback. Think about your accounting and your construction business, right? You believe you're charging the right amount. You then take action by selling the job and performing it. You have results. Those are your actuals for the build. And then there's a feedback loop, your postmortem. And so, it, you know, and this applies to everything in life. And just understand that from the sales perspective, you have an internal belief, like we talked about the big promise of the series that maybe I don't feel like I am a salesperson by, by heart or by nature kind of thing. That's what you believe right now. In order to actually change that, you have to start changing your beliefs. And the only way that you do that is by going through the actions, receiving those results, looking at the feedback, and then coming back to the beliefs and continuing to iterate around in a circle. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And it, I mean, I know you kind of talk a lot about just, you can't really shortcut this stuff, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of moving parts. You do need to build these skills and, and you do need to, to practice. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think it comes down to the fact that, you know, we as humans, you know, we, we actually rarely push hard towards our dreams and goals, right? We'll just fight to like not break our minimum standards, whatever that bar <laughs> is, we'll fight really hard not to, you know, but it's classic example is like the gym, you know, you're like, as long as my waist, you know, as long as my stomach is only like, only looks a little bit, you know, out kind of thing, then I'm okay. As soon as it starts getting a little bit bigger, well, that's when I'm going to go for a couple of runs and get it back there. Right. And that's kind of that minimum standard versus I want washboard abs by the time June hits kind of thing. And that's fighting for your your dreams and your goals. And that's something that's really important just to be aware of. And that's why it's so hard to make change as humans, because we will, we're programmed just to kind of do that, that not, I don't want to call it the bare minimum, but whatever that lowest threshold is, is where we'll never break that. But driving to our goals is is a very hard thing to do because you're really trying to you know, like reprogram yourself ultimately. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, it goes back to your earlier point of just being uncomfortable. And that's kind of where that zone is of pushing forward yeah. towards those goals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is, it's really tough because it's not comfortable. <laughs> yeah. But the best way to, the best way to really think about it is kind of that 1% rule, right? Is like the small differences in performance, you know, can lead to those very unequal distributions over time, which is a fancy way of saying they're the building blocks of creating new patterns and creating success and kind of getting onto the path that you want to go towards because you really don't need to be twice as good as you are right now. You just need to be a little bit better is really the, the kind of the, the trick there. And that's what we talk about when we talk about the 1%. It's, it's the 1% rules, you know, very connected to that 80, 20 principle, of course, as well. But for me, the 1% is just like, what's that little thing that you can do each day? So, you know, you spend a lot of time with us listening to this mini series and I want to thank everybody for, of course, you know, donating their all of their time and spending it with us. And hopefully it was worthy of your time. But think about these little things that I've talked about. You don't have to take 32 things out of this mini series and apply them. I would love it if you did. But at the same time, what is the 1%? What is the one thing that you can do kind of on a daily or a weekly or a monthly basis, right? That is actually going to help push you into that the next or that direction that you want to take, you know, where you want to kind of get to. Because you've, you've obviously spent the time listening to this because there is something that you want to you know, improve in your sales process. And you know, it's just about taking that little incremental action. That's awesome. I mean, it always starts with that first step. So Brian, this has been a great mini series. I know I've picked up a lot of things along the way. So I'm hoping everybody listening did as well. And I think you know, to your point, like going back and re-listening to the... And just hyper pick out the, the sections that you know, you know you're going to work on right away. 
But I guess for anybody that wants to get connected with you, uh, maybe learn more about how you help people either one-on-one or, you know, through some of your programs, like what's the best way to, to do that and, and look you up online? Yeah, for sure. So basically, yeah, you can look me up at constructionconsulting.co. So that's a .co, not a .com. Maybe one day I'll buy the .com, but I think it's uh, quite expensive right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, nonetheless, um, if you hop over to the website there, there'll be a button in the top right corner that says apply here. And that's really the best way to, to kind of start the journey together, figure out where the best place for you to start is. I typically run people through a systems course that really helps them leverage their time and get a lot of these sort of low-hanging fruit things into place and make sure that as we go through the rest of the programs that I offer, those being estimating sales and accounting, that we really you know have those sort of baseline practices in place. The one thing that I think we all know, again, coming back to that time quotient, is that if we don't have the time in our schedule allotted to work on our business, and, and that's not as simple as just blocking it out in our calendar, it's, there's a lot that's involved to actually get there. And so that's, you, that's the first place I like to start everybody is to really get, you know, get your time back, help you stop running around with that two-pound fire extinguisher in that firefighting mode from project to project, from client call to client call, sitting in your truck in a parking lot, eating lunch and doing a client call because you just you know can't seem to find two minutes to, to put together in, in, during the day. So you're constantly on the run. This is one of the big challenges, of course, being a remodeler. I don't have to preach this. Everybody listening to this knows this very well. So you know it's really a great place for us to start. Cool. Yeah. I just want to thank you again, Brian, for spending the time. You know, you've put a lot of time and effort into getting ready to record and and doing these six episodes. So for anybody listening, you know, if you got some value out of this, I would definitely recommend at least checking out the website and and heading over there and see what Brian can do to help you guys. And if nothing else, you'll just continue to re-listen to this and listen to our incredible voices talking to each <laughs> other over and over again. So no, but seriously, Brian, thank you so much for carving out the time and and recording this with me. Yeah, I appreciate it, Spencer. Thanks for inviting me. And it's uh, it's been a lot of fun yeah, working on this and recording all the series. And I'm excited to listen to it as well. <laughs> right <laughs> I on. might learn something. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> well, you can uh, you can go watch all the recordings like you told everyone else to do. So. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> all right, guys. With that, we're going to wrap down the mini series. And thank you, as always, for listening to us here at Builder Funnel Radio. All right, that's a wrap. But before you go, I've got a couple more things for you. First, takeaways from this episode. As Brian said, you need to force yourself to be uncomfortable. That's where your growth as a salesperson comes from. It's okay to hear no. Practice your emotional intelligence by observing the prospect. And if you can, record calls via Zoom, rewatch both you and the prospect. Or if you're doing phone calls, record those and listen to them. Look at the wavelength of the recording and see how much you talk and how much your prospect talks. And again, here's a hint. You should let them talk a lot more. Practice, 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 and build a process for your sales. Don't skip steps. Clearly outline those steps for your prospect and lead them down the path. And remember, the four secret weapons. The first one, breadcrumbs and their equity building power. The second one, using your client's name. Third, silence. Fourth is use the two deadly lines. The first one being, tell me more about that. And then the second one, would you be open to? And guys, if you're looking for more on this topic or some hands-on help, I highly recommend connecting with Brian. Head over to his website, constructionconsulting.co 
slash builder funnel and make sure to go follow him on Instagram as well. He's super active over there. And again, go check out constructionconsulting.co slash builder funnel. Hey guys, I sincerely hope that you enjoyed this mini series and a big, big thank you to Brian Kaplan for spending the time and sharing his expertise. Do me a quick favor. If you got any value out of these episodes, please, please leave us a review. It helps us spread the word and help more companies like yours. We put a lot of time and money into creating the podcast and bringing on amazing guests like Brian. So I'd appreciate just 30 seconds of your time to leave us a quick review and then share it with a peer who could benefit as well. All right, guys, that's a wrap for this mini series. Thanks again for listening, for spreading the word, and we'll see you next time here on Builder Funnel Radio.